0: I mean, who like sings about their neediness? Um, and yet I, I love that song. It emphasizes such a profound truth that we were created for dependency. The only independent being in the universe is God. Has it occurred to you that God has never had a need in his history? He's never needed anything. And yet he invites us into a relationship with him where our only defense before him is not what we've done, but in what has been done on our behalf. Lord, we need you. And so we declare that this morning as we hear from God's word. Lord, we are a needy people. So speak to us by your word this morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're going to hear from a passage of scripture that uh, maybe you've never heard a message before from. We're going to hear about two ladies named Eodia. Say Eodia with me. And even better, Syntyche. Say Syntyche with me. So these were dear ministry associates of the Apostle Paul that, can you believe it, got into a tussle. So we're going to see how even godly people can fight and how when we do have disagreements and division that we need to fight for unity this morning. So can we pray and ask for the Lord's help in the next few minutes? Father, We already sang it, but we want to say it. We need you. We pause right now. and We beg by your spirit, would you speak from your word? Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your law. Lord, would you hide me behind the cross of Jesus Christ? In the precious name of our risen Savior, we pray. Amen. Now, I have my, uh, my, my lovely assistant this morning, Doria Dewberry, up here. Can we give Doria a hand? Yes, very good. She's on spring break, so we're really glad to have her back in the Gospel Hope fam this week. She's going to help me with a little illustration this morning. It's simply this. You know, in music, there is a phenomenon called harmony. That's when two notes... Okay, you're a little quick, Doria. Just take your time. I mean, I know I'd invite you up here, but let's not steal the show here. That's upstage it, Yeah. Okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. Okay. Harmony is when notes played together sound pleasant. So, Doria? Okay, and then you can even get more complex and do like a whole chord. And not that sound nice? Say, hey, that's nice. That's nice. But there's an opposite phenomenon in music. It's known as dissonance or discord. That's when two notes that are played together don't sound so nice. Wow, you're good at that, Doria. really good, yeah, okay. Can, can you play like a whole awful sounding chord? Okay, that's <laughs> wonderful, yeah, very good. <laughs> so you got harmony, which is pleasant, and discord, which is not pleasant. Wow, okay, very good. All right, so give Doria a hand, thank you so much. Thank you, Doria. I find it interesting that God wove into the very fabric of human existence this idea of a pleasantness of harmony and a unpleasantness, pleasantness of discord. That's not only true of music, though, is it? It's also true of human relationships. That there is a pleasantness when a relationship is complementing one another, and there is an unpleasantness when a relationship is at discord. This, in fact, is emphasized throughout the scripture. Even that same metaphor is used. For instance, Psalm 133, verse number one says this, how delightfully good when brothers live together in, what's it say, church? Harmony. Harmony. Or you have the opposite over in Proverbs chapter six. The Lord hates one who sows discord among the brothers. And yet since the fall in the garden, discord, disunity, even division have been part of the human experience. In fact, the moment sin came into human relationships, what happened? Discord. Adam played the first game of let me throw someone under the bus. Genesis chapter three, verse number 12. The woman that you gave me, She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. It wasn't just the woman's fault. It was God who gave him the woman's fault. You see, when sin entered into humanity, discord became par for the course. It's therefore unsurprising that disunity is still a threat to the people of God today. This was clearly true in the book of Philippians and it remains true for Gospel Hope Church in the 21st century. Now, here's the thing. Before we dive into our text here in Philippians chapter four, here's what we have to remember. Philippi, this church was a thriving, vibrant, healthy, wonderful church that when Paul thought about it, it was a regular source of encouragement to him. Philippians chapter one, verse number three. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Skip down to verse number seven. I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and defense and confirmation of the gospel. Philippians chapter four, verse number 15. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. Here's my question. Did Paul love this church? Yes or no? Was this a healthy church? Yes or no? And yet in this healthy church, there was disunity and division, which reminds us of an important principle. Listen, faithful churches are not necessarily faultless churches. Faithful churches are not necessarily faultless churches. That is even the best, the most vibrant, the most healthy of churches, there will always be the possibility of division. This is true, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret here because of a profound reality. Churches are made up exclusively of, ready, people. Every church is made up of people. And there are two things about people that make division and disunity inevitable. The first thing is this, ready? Write this down, write this down. I know, you have never heard anything like this before. People are different. Even the person in this universe that is closest to you, that thinks the most like you, that has the most shared experiences with you, doesn't see every issue exactly like you do. No human beings think exactly like, no human beings feel exactly like, they are made different by God. And it actually magnifies God's creativity to make people that are different. But, Because that is a reality, disagreement, differences of opinion, disunity is somewhat inevitable among people because people are different. But that's not the only issue. People are not only different, people are also imperfect. Division is always in the realm of possibility because churches are composed not only of diverse individuals, but also imperfect individuals. That is, we're all prone to value our own thoughts our own ideas, our own opinions over others. We all have a tendency to view life our own way rather than God's way. We all have a bent towards badness, as it were. You might've heard the adage, if you find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll mess it up. That's true, that's true. We are a bunch of diverse, imperfect people gathered together and therefore in one sense, disagreement is inevitable. So what do we do? What is the implication of the fact that we're different and we're sinful and we're all thrust together and called to live as one? What are we supposed to do? I think what Paul is urging here in Philippians chapter four is simply this, we must fight for unity. It doesn't just come, you have gotta fight for it. You've gotta battle for it. You've gotta work at it. We must fight for unity. In these short verses, I think Paul is outlining basically three strategies that we can use to fight for unity. And I want to give him to you briefly this morning, how to fight for unity. Number one, consider your identity. Before Paul addresses the specific matter at hand, he actually reminds the church of who they are. Look at verse number one. Look at this. So then my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and my crown. In this matter, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. It it seems like like Paul is heaping up the adjectives here. Did you notice that? I mean, he's just like unrolling all these descriptors of who the people of God are. Why? I think because Paul is trying to teach an important theological and spiritual reality that is this, Our identity drives our activity. Our identity drives our activity. So let's see how we do on this. Can we say this together? Our identity drives our activity. One more time. Our identity drives our activity. You say, Ryan, what does that mean? Well, it means that we do what we do because we are who we are through the work of Jesus. We do what we do because we are who we are through the work of Jesus. And the Bible consistently reasons this way. I'm gonna give you several examples and I need you to put your theological thinking caps on here for a moment. Our identity drives our activity and I wanna prove it to you from several passages of scripture. First one is this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 18 and 19. Look at what it says. Flee sexual immorality. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Okay, so track with me here. What is the activity in these verses? The activity is flee sexual immorality. Okay, so I'm gonna say flee sexual immorality. That is a activity. Why? Because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That is a what? Identity. In other words, the reason... You don't do sexual immorality because you are God's temple. Your identity drives your activity. Ready? You got me. Got me. Okay. So so we're like halfway there. Okay. Two more, and we'll be all the way there. Second one. Um, Romans chapter eight, verse fifteen. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Don't fear, that's a what? Activity, because you are adopted children. That's a what? Your identity drives your activity. You're God's children, don't be afraid. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit, flee sexual immorality. One more, First, or Colossians 3, verse one. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above seek the things that are above what is that activity why because you've been raised with christ that's what and over and over and over again the bible does that if i could summarize what god calls us to do for him is always rooted in what he has done for us this will change your life if you'll get this principle What God calls us to do for him is always rooted in what he has done for us. Live like a son or a daughter because you are a son or daughter. Don't fear, pray, run to your father. Don't worry, why? Because you have been adopted by God. Don't live in condemnation, why? Because you are justified, Some of you need to start believing who you are and not focusing on so much what you do. The doing will follow the being. You need to, by faith, take hold of what God has done in your life. And when you do that, it will change the way you behave. Stop thinking about elephants. What everybody think about? Elephants. Because willpower alone is not sufficient to change us. We need something deeper, something fuller. We need a new identity to change our activity. And by the work of Jesus, that's what he has done. I think this is exactly the type of gospel logic Paul is using in this situation. He is urging, urging Eodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord because their behavior is out of step with their identity. He's like, ladies, 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 ladies. You're not keeping in step with who you are. Sometimes my children fuss at one another. I know that's a shocking confession. It's true. It's true. Those pastor's kids, they sin. And sometimes in those moments when they're being unkind or hurtful to one another, as a parent, I will step in and say something like, hey, 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 hey. Hey, don't talk that way. That is your sister. That is your sister brother. In other words, what am I doing? I'm kind of calling them to remember their identity. Remember who the person you're talking to are and remember who you are by relationship to him. That is your brother. And therefore you need to treat them in a certain way with kindness and grace and mercy and forgiveness. You need to act towards them because they are your family. I think if I could summarize, Paul is saying in verse number one, he is saying, Iodia, Syntyche, get together on this, work this out. That is your sister. Remember your identity. Or, as we like to say it around here all the time, the church is not like a family. What? It is a family. What's the implication of this? When you're tempted to gossip about, tear down, or hold a grudge against a fellow believer, friends, that is your sister. When you're tempted to exclude or judge uncharitably or look down at someone in the church, remember that is your brother. When you're tempted to complain about, avoid, or speak harshly to a member of Christ's body, remember that is your family. Let your identity drive your activity. If we truly are brothers and sisters, then we must treat one another incumbent upon that high and lofty calling that Christ has given us. After all, we must fight for unity in part because it cost our great older brother, his very life to bring us into this family. Jesus died not to make you comfortable, but to make you kin and so we need to treat one another as such. How do you fight for identity? How do you fight for unity? Remember your identity. Number two, don't only, don't only consider your identity, but number two, concentrate on your mission. When Paul learned about the disagreement between Iodia and Syntyche, he was in, in part troubled because of these women's stellar history. Look at the verse again, verse number two. I urge Yodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women. Look at this description who have contended for the gospel with me by my side. In other words, these women had been dedicated gospel co-leggers with the apostle, but at this point, they had let something in their relationship eclipse their shared commitment to gospel advancement. The implicit principle is this. Listen, dedication to a shared mission diminishes the weight of differences with others. Dedication to a shared mission diminishes the weight of differences with others. In other words, when you're lockstep going towards a mission, a lot of these secondary and tertiary issues actually aren't that important. Because you're like, no, we got bigger fish to fry. We got more important matters to be involved in. So stop worrying about these little incidentals about you think differently than me or you feel differently than me about this particular issue. No, we are linked in the greatest cause in human history, namely the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can't be concerned with all these little things that would divide us. We've got a great thing that unites us. You know, one of the greatest um, football duos in the NFL over the last couple decades have been Tom Brady and Rod Gronkowski. But, but if you've ever seen these two guys, I don't know if it's too, I mean, Atlanta fans are very sensitive anytime you say the TB word, it's, it's still a curse word. If you ever see these two fellas? I mean, in one sense, they couldn't be more difficult, different. Skill set, you know, Gronkowski is this hulking beast of a man. And Tom Brady is slender. Um, And then just the way they present themselves, their brand, as it were. I mean, Gronk, as he's affectionately known and rightfully so, brands himself as the quintessential party boy. You know, he's frat boy plus. Every New Year's Eve party he's at, you know, reality TV shows, he's a regular star on. I mean, he's there all the time. This is Gronk's brand. On the other hand, when you see Tom Brady, I mean, this guy is poised, polished, equally at home in the boardroom and on the football field. You're like, is this guy a CEO or a quarterback? I don't know. And yet, the two of them working together, despite their differences, have 10 Super Bowl wings between them and two of them come against Atlanta. I know, it's painful. But the reality is, is their differences didn't divide them. Their differences actually enhanced their mission. Brady and Gronk worked so well together Not because they were the same, but rather actually because they shared a common mission. They were going after the same goal. If that's true on the football field, how much more should it be true in the church? Yes, we're different. Yes, we have different perspectives, but we have the same mission, brothers and sisters. We have the same goal of seeing disciples made. And we wanna help people that don't know Jesus come to know Jesus and help those that know Jesus walk deeper and closer with him. In fact, differences do not demand division. Differences do not demand division. In fact, when you stop and think about the genesis of the church itself, when God created the church, he actually intentionally put diversity into its design. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, here's what it says. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. Next slide. There we go. (laughs) Indeed, the body is not one because many. If the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? Diversity actually enhances not detracts from the mission of God. Can you imagine if your body was all made up of one part? Gross, ill. And then number two, it just wouldn't be able to function properly because the mission is more than one just just one part. Now take it forward. Can you imagine if the church was made up of just people exactly like you? Like think about this whole room full of yous. Again, Ill. And then secondly, man, we wouldn't get much done, would we? Now that group of people would certainly magnify your strengths, but they would also do what? Magnify your weaknesses. And we wouldn't be able to accomplish the mission of God that he has called us to. Diversity is not inconvenient. It's actually indispensable in one sense. In order to accomplish the mission that God has called us to, we desperately need one another. There will inevitably be differences and even disagreements in a diverse church, but this is not a cause for division. You see, the truth is this. God has called us to unity of purpose, not uniformity of perspective. Those are two radically different ideas. God has called us to be unified in our purpose, not uniformity in our perspective. And it seems in this moment, Iodia and Syntyche had lost sight of this reality. And Paul's calling back, ladies, you've lost sight of what actually unites you. It's not your exact same perspective on every single issue. It is the mission that God has called you on. Now get back in line. From its inception, God has blessed gospel hope with a great deal of diversity. And our desire is to only continue that as the days go ahead. We're actually right now in the history of our church pressing deeper into that diversity on purpose. As you heard from Joaquin at the beginning of the service, man, we're excited to launch Gospel Hope Español. Guess what? That's a new dimension of diversity that God's gonna be introducing into our congregation. We are excited as we continue to partner with our friends across the hall at First Baptist of Avondale. Guess what? That is a new dimension of diversity that God is introducing into our congregation. And you know what? That is beautiful and wonderful and glorious because we believe there is power in the reconciling hope of the gospel. But here's what it means. We've got to strive to keep the main thing, the main thing. It's not about your preferences. It's not about you being comfortable It's not about you or I getting what we want. Well, maybe me getting what I want. I'm just kidding, right? It's not about us and getting patted on the back and saying, yeah, we're gonna do what you wanna do. No, it is about the mission. How can we most effectively leverage all that we are and all the wonderful beauty of this diversity that God has given us and all of these wonderful different perspectives and peoples and backgrounds and histories and generations and colors of beautiful skin? How can we leverage all of those things so that we might see the maximum number of disciples worshiping at the foot of the Savior? If we, like the Bible, are storming the gates of hell, as long as the person fighting alongside of us is aimed at the enemy, then they are our ally. And we shouldn't be concerned about how they think a little bit differently than us on this, that, or the other thing. As long as our mission is going forward, we're about the proclamation of the greatest king in the universe we are united in that, then we can get along on a lot of different things. Listen, church, when our guns are aimed at the enemy, we have little time to point them at one another. You wanna promote unity in the church? Get on mission. Get busy, focused on seeing people grow and know our savior better. Let's be a people who are deeply committed to the mission to which God has called us. And if that is the case, we will have deep unity in the church. Sometimes we think unity is a precursor to mission. I would argue most of the time, unity is a byproduct of mission. When we begin pursuing our savior and what he has called us to do, then we get unified with other people who are doing the same thing. Number three, count on your family. Consider your identity, concentrate on your mission, and count on your family. Here's how you fight for unity. Embedded in Paul's plea to Eodia and Syntyche is a request to other members of the body of Christ. I find this so fascinating. Look at what it says, Philippians chapter four, verse number two. I urge Eodia, and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers, whose names are in the book of life. We have absolutely no idea who true partner is. No idea. There's no clue in Philippians. Apparently they knew, we don't know. Here's what we do know. Paul believed that true partner, this other brother or sister, we don't even know if it's a brother or sister in Christ we also know that this man or woman, Paul believed that he or she could help Eodia and Syntyche. That's a profound reality. It reminds us of something crucial, namely this. God's people help us gain God's perspective. God's people help us gain God's perspective. And this is a needed reminder. So important right now in our current cultural moment. Here's why. You will hear consistent messages in our world today like this follow your heart or be true to yourself now i'm not saying that's completely wrong i'm not saying go home and unsubscribe from disney plus that's not what i'm saying what i am saying is this that is a incomplete perspective and it is rooted in radical individualism that the bible does not understand We are not called primarily to follow our hearts or be true to ourselves, but God gifts us with people in our life to help us to gain his perspective. In fact, here's what the scripture says: Jeremiah 17, verse 9: the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? That doesn't sound like follow your heart. Or Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 12. Watch out, brothers and sisters so that there won't be any in you of an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily while it's still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. So the Bible warns us, listen to the statement. The Bible warns us of the clear and present danger of self-deception. That is, you know the person who is most prone to believe your own heart's lies? It's you. When my heart lies, it doesn't fool Laquita. She's not buying it, folks. She's like, that's a lie, Ryan. False. When Laquita's heart lies, it doesn't fool Carrie. And when Carrie's heart lies, it doesn't fool James. Our hearts lie and they fool ourselves. Let me give you a couple illustrations. Have you ever in your mind had some sort of conflict and disagreement and you like rehearse that thing in your mind, right? You go through it and you like feel 100% justified. You're like, I was right. And they were wrong. And then you start to talk about that incident to someone else. And you're like, I'll tell you what they said. They said this, and then I said that. And then you're like, gross. Like midway through the sentence, you're like, I just got duped. The problem was not them. The problem was me. Has that ever happened to you? If not, please talk to me because I want to talk to you about that very issue right now. Or... Have, have you ever had something like this happen? Have you ever internally made a matter just, a, a matter so gigantic? I mean, it is just huge. And you are like ready to go on the war path. You are angry and gonna like slay someone when you see them. And then you actually talk about the issue and you're like, oh, that wasn't a big deal. I just misunderstood what they said. You know why that happens? We're liars to ourselves. We don't mean to be. It's just one of the effects of sin on our hearts is that it makes us prone to our own deceits. Perhaps this is what happened in Philippi to these lovely ladies, Iodia and Syntyche. Can you imagine this internal dialogue? Syntyche's thinking, oh, that Iodia. I mean, she just thinks she's better than everyone else. What she said, that just proves it. I know it. And is over there thinking, syntiki, syntiki, syntiki. Mm-mm-mm. There she is sulking again. I wish she would just grow up. And Paul is like, no, agree with one another. You need some help. Get true partner to step in there and help you to see what is really going on. These sisters needed the body of Christ. And guess what? So do we. I can't improve I can't improve on Paul Tripp's words. Hebrews 3.13 clearly teaches that personal insight is the product of community. I need you in order to really see and know myself. Otherwise, I will listen to my own arguments. I will believe my own lies and buy into my own delusions. Some of us are living in a dream world, folks. My self-perception is as accurate as a carnival mirror. If I'm going to see myself clearly, I need to hold up the mirror of, I need you to hold up the mirror of God's word in front of me. Let's be a church that holds up the mirror for one another. Not unkindly, not without grace, not at every little thing we're pointing out and being nitpicky and persnickety, but let's be a group of people that knows one another well enough, that cares about unity deeply enough that we're willing to say, no brother, no sister, Problem's not them, it's you. You need to look at God's word and see yourself clearly. Man, you you missed a spot when you were shaving. You've got a blob of cream cheese on your nose. Your hair is messed up. Look at God's word. Help you to get an accurate perspective of who you are. If your voice is the only counselor that you listen to or the voice of other people that just agree with you, then you are not doing what Paul is calling the church of Philippi to do here. If our church is to fight for unity, then we must consistently allow others to hold up the mirror of God's word in front of us. So obviously this type of unity is attractive. The question really is, is it attainable? Is it possible for a church made up of diverse, imperfect people to be unified? Or if I could bring it even closer to home, in this wildly fantastic thing that the Lord is doing here in East Atlanta. As we try to bring black and white and brown and young and seasoned, isn't that polite, young and seasoned folks? (laughs) Rich and poor, Democrat and Republican, all kinds of people together. Is it possible for gospel hope to actually be unified? not in some sort of superficial way, but in a way that really counts and matters? And I think the answer is yes. And fortunately, the good news is Jesus agrees with me. Ephesians chapter four puts it this way. Listen to this passage very plainly. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, if a church did that, would there be unity? Yes or no? Yes, absolutely. Then look at the next phrase making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So, if I could paraphrase just in a sentence, Ephesians chapter four, I think Paul is saying this fight for unity, fight. But remember, as I said at the beginning, our identity drives our activity. In other words, okay, we know we're supposed to fight, that's the activity. What is the identity that that is rooted in? Look at the very next verse. Because there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called with one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in all. In other words, you have been made one, so live like you're one. Or if I could put it very simply, be unified because you have been unified. Be what you are. Let your identity drive your activity. Fight for unity because Christ died to make you unified. You see, when Jesus laid down his life on the cross and rose again, he did so in order that his people would belong not just to him, but to one another Being united with Christ and his people is a blood-bought reality. And it's one of the reasons why Jesus came to earth and died. In this way then, gospel unity is both a gift and a goal. Something Christ purchased for us and something we must fight for. Something we must strive after. It is a gift, blood-bought, but it is a goal that God calls us to seek after. Let me close with an illustration, imperfect as it may be. You know, Trisha and I just bought a new home. And if somebody came to us and said, do you guys own the house? Our answer in one sense would be, yes, we own the house. Why? Well, my bank account shows it right now that we own the house, right? Like we paid the money, we signed the papers, we're on the deed, all of those things. We own the house. And yet in another sense, we don't own the house because next month, what are we gonna have to do? Pay the mortgage so that we keep owning the house. And and I think that's a beautiful picture of what Paul is saying here. In other sense, Christ died on the cross to make you unified. You are unified by the work of Christ, but you gotta make regular payments to stay unified. You gotta keep working off the down payment that Christ did on the cross of Christ to be unified. So church, let's make our mortgage payments. Let's be people who are regularly fighting to maintain the unity that our Savior died to purchase on the cross for us. Be unified because you are unified. Be one because you are one. Say, Ryan, I want that desperately. What am I supposed to do? Let me give you two suggestions as we close here tonight, today. First thing is this. Let me encourage you to confess to the Lord. <laughs> Maybe you look at your life and you're like, man, I haven't been fighting for unity as I should. There's some relationships that are out of whack. Maybe I've been gossiping. Maybe I've been bitter. Maybe I haven't dealt with issues like I should. I haven't, I haven't agreed with one another like God is calling Yodi and Sintake to. I haven't enlisted the help of others and I need to work this relationship out. I can't have right relationships this way if I don't first have right relationship this way. So I need to talk to the Lord about that. I wanna invite you to do that right now. I'm gonna have our prayer team standing by right now. And I'm gonna give you a moment here. If you'd like to go and pray and just talk to God about that, you can do it right there in your seats. But if you'd like to pray with somebody who would help you to just seek God on this manner, that we would be unified in our relationships, these folks would be happy to pray with you. Second thing I wanna encourage you to do very practically is to connect with one another. We can't live in isolation. This passage calls us to pursue unity. And I'm gonna give you two very practical ways to do that. If you haven't got plugged into a community group at Gospel Hope, that is critical for your spiritual health in this particular body of Christ. And so right there up on the screen, there's a QR code. If you have yet to be connected to a community at Gospel Hope, can I encourage you right now to scan that code and start to take those steps? You can't do this alone. You weren't meant to go this alone. God created us. Remember, humanity thrives in harmony. We can't do that by ourselves. We need other brothers and sisters to link arms with. So maybe that's you. you have not getting connected. Please do so this morning. The second kind of way you can connect with others is, is will you connect to our counseling ministry? Paul speaks to Iote and Syntyche, and he's like, look, ladies, you need some help. True partner, can you help them? If you're having some relationship challenges we have a resource that is available to you. We have trained, gospel-centered, biblical people who want to help you work through life's difficulties. And if you have some relationships that are out of whack and you just need some help, would you scan that and and begin the process of getting some help? We wanna come alongside you. We wanna give you a true partner in your life who will help hold up the mirror of God's word And help you sort through maybe some relationship difficulties that you have. And look, by the way, if you're a member of Gospel Hope Church, uh, we pay for a good portion of that. We just think it's that important. We want you to be walking in right relationships with other people. So we want to help you with that. So take advantage. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to have, we're going to quietly play some music here for just a minute. And I want you to do business with the Lord. Maybe you need to go pray with somebody. Maybe you need to pray right there at your seats. Maybe you need to scan those codes and begin the next steps of getting connected. I'll pray for us in just a minute and then we'll sing. So take a minute and just you do what the Lord is leading you to do in your heart right now. There is mercy and grace. And even if we have experienced broken relationships, even if we haven't been fighting for unity like we should, Lord, your grace is sufficient for us right now. So I pray we would receive it. I pray we would be a church that fights for what your son purchased for us on the cross. Lord, make gospel hope a clear display of the reconciling hope of the gospel. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship our Savior.